Hello there, it's the Whole Tooth Podcast back for another series. I'm Fintan Harrahan, Chief Executive of the Irish Dental Association and host of this round of episodes as we delve into the issues affecting dentists and dental practitioners, the length and breadth of the country. We'll mark the association's centenary year as we reminisce over the past 100 years and assess where dentistry is in Ireland at the moment and where it's going in the future. No better than the two people I have to join me here today. Uh, They are the association's former president, Dr. Gary Heavey, and our incoming president, Dr. Eamon Croke. There was an overlap in their dental education around the corner here in the Dublin Dental School, so that might form part of our discussions. But if I turn to you, Gary, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your initial dental education and your entry into the profession? Well, I didn't go into dentistry straight after school. I actually had the benefit of an education in uh, in philosophy in Rome for a couple of years. Um, when I came back to Ireland and uh, went to dental school, I wasn't really sure what I was getting into. Um, the dental hospital back in those days was you could almost you could describe it as a reasonably oppressive place. There was a lot of fear among students. There was a lot of disquiet among the staff. They were looking to get a new hospital. One of the tactics that seemed to be employed was to fail as many students as possible in order to generate political pressure. Um, so when I was in the college and Eamon was there at the same time, we, uh, there was a strike. We actually closed the hospital in an effort to, uh, to see if we could uh, move things along. And uh, on behalf of our class, I wrote to the provost and threatened to sue Trinity College unless they ensured that our education allowed us to sit our finals. Ironically, Brian Murray was the student um, officer who helped me in that, and he subsequently became the uh, secretary of the of the dental hospital. Uh, the provost that I wrote, or the vice provost at the time who I wrote to, became the uh, chairman of the board of the dental hospital, and I was the vice chairman. So we actually had full circle over a period of about 30 years. But now I think it's an institution that in general we could be pretty proud of. And Eamon, uh, and it is remarkable, Eamon will be taking over as president. We also have had uh, Dr. Sean Malone and Dr. Colin McAllister, who would have been contemporaries of you both, who went on to become president of the association. You both served as presidents of the Dental Council. There must have been something in the air or in the water at the time. Eamon, do you want to tell us a bit about how you came to study dentistry and your initial experiences? Um Thanks, Vinton. Yeah, I decided as a very naive 15-year-old I'd like to do dentistry. I suppose at the time, uh, healthcare issues appealed to me uh, and my strengths in school lay in the science end of things. So that appealed to me. And uh, interestingly enough, you might remember the aptitude tests we had at the time. And I there was one that required you to put a flat surface together in a 3D object. And while I did rather well at the rest of them, I got 50% in this and it was suggested I shouldn't do dentistry. Um, and I spent a miserable year saying, no, I don't want to do accountancy. No, I don't want to do engineering. Um, and eventually decided I wanted to do dentistry. And that's that. We came into uh, a time of change in Trinity because at the time, uh, my year when I went in, was the first year where there was a change over. And pre- prior to that, uh, Trinity... College of Surgeons and UCD all had their dental schools and they came into the hospital at various times. 
the plan with uh, my year was that we'd all come in together and Gary then was a similar situation. Gary was Trinity student as I was a Trinity student, but many of my colleagues, uh, when we eventually got, were from UCD and RCSI. Uh, so Trinity really didn't know how to handle us. And so regularly we would get uh, sent to say, for example, anatomy at nine o'clock and meant to be in biochemistry at nine o'clock at the same time. So it was a time of a lot of political upheaval. And I suppose, you know, where did we start our interests? You've mentioned, you know, rather long list of engagements, which we have in common. But I think possibly the dental hospital. I might even go back to the local GA club, whereas a young lad, you know, I was quick to put my hands up if I felt something wasn't as it should be. Uh, but I do think the hospital, I think Gary would agree with that, was, uh, and Trinity was a very good breeding ground uh, for political awareness and the need to do something. I think that's the most important, the actual need rather than just agitation. So neither of you have been shy ever about coming forward. Was it a natural progression then to get involved with the Irish Dental Association? I'll ask you both, starting with you, Eamon. How did you first encounter the association? Well, I was in England for 13 years after I qualified, which was the rite of passage for the vast, vast majority of dentists upon graduation. Um, and I was involved with the BDA in terms of just being a member, but used to attend the meetings. And at the time, um, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, there was a big move in the national health to change things. What I did learn there was that if an association didn't represent the people they were working for, the membership, then the association was uh, not fit for purpose. And so when I came home, I had people like Connor McAllister, like Johnny Nolan, uh, who were classmates and close friends, and they were involved very much at local level. Um, and so, as was typical of the time when Johnny was to be what was then the Metropolitan Branch president. The committee was formed by, come here, you're t turning up on Wednesday. <laughs> and that was it. And I have to say, you know, duck to water. Yeah. And was it similar for you, Gary? Yeah. I mean, again, my experience in England taught me that uh, you needed people who had your interests at heart negotiating for you. And when I came back to Ireland, I mean, things were a lot different then. I had hardly arrived in Sandy Cove when I got a phone call from a local dentist telling me that the BDA or the IDA was meeting uh, that following Thursday. Would I come along? Very friendly, came along. And there were a lot of people used to attend those meetings. And when we put it in the context that there were relatively few dentists in Dublin back then, um, and it was very much a collegiate thing. Now, it was, it was as typical of those times. It was mostly men because there were relatively few lady dentists uh, around. And I got asked, would I... Would I go to? Would I represent the the Dublin branch at the IDA council? And then I got asked, would I be the honorary secretary? And then, totally out of the blue, thirty years ago, I got a phone call from the then president of the Dublin branch of the IDA, David Patton, asking me, would I be the president of the IDA? Completely unexpected. So it was press gang, but once you got into it, and you realised that these that these guys, as they still are, were giving up their time, and they're Back then, there was very little secretariat support. I mean, we had a, a secretary general, but he was a lone man band. So it was really up to the GPs uh, to do it. 
And uh, yeah, I learned an awful lot. I mean, it's one of the one of the things I look back on, and I'm so delighted I did it because it knocked a lot of corners off me, dealing with people who are far cleverer than I was, and then getting to to deal with government ministers on behalf of both the profession and the patients. And can you tell us about some of the people you met along the way, the leaders within the association that made an impression on you? And I suppose what were the the the, the key developments or dramas that you participated in or saw along the way? Well, I think the first leader I became aware of was Art McGann, who was actually president twice, who was a larger-than-life character, um, very encouraging. I mean, the IDA probably wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for Art McGann. While it was founded before his time, he basically travelled the country. Back in the days when travelling the country was, was quite a task. In order to generate support, branches had to be created. So a lot of the negotiators on the help board side, I remember negotiating the what became the, the, the medical card scheme, and for the first time at that stage, the IDA presented a united front with both general practitioners and health board dentists. And that was a hugely positive thing because up to then, there'd been a lot of friction, um, a lot of disagreements over each, e- e- the value of each, of each group, if you like. But Joe Lamazny and uh, Joe Green, on behalf of the, uh, the, health, board, uh, the health board dentists, myself uh, and Tom Feeney, um, we were on one side of the table. Barney Murphy, who was another great IDA man, was on the other side of the table. Um, but that group actually was the first, I think, to make a significant change insofar as medical card holders ne- then had access to general practice. And uh, from the health board point of view, uh, Joe Lamazny got, a, got an oral surgeon down into Limerick which helped uh, alleviate a huge problem down there. So that was very positive. I think the negative was that that agreement was merely, that was an opening agreement. That was something to to get a problem solved, get orthodontics as far as we could, uh, emergency services, dentures, out to the medical card patients, get access to general practice. But it was supposed to evolve. And unfortunately, like a lot of these things, it didn't really. And I mean, it really hasn't, we know, we all know, are aware now of the problems we have with that that agreement. But that agreement is thirty years old, and it really doesn't stand up to much scrutiny when you look at it as a contract. But those, the fact that the IDA, the dentists of Ireland, got together, both from the uh, from the health board side and from the general practice side, and supported each other, that was a that was a huge move forward. And Eamon, uh, and I, I'm conscious that you both served in the dental council as well. Can I ask you about, you know, the, the, the colleagues who made an impression on you along the way who were in leadership positions and, you know, what were the particular episodes or developments that registered with you? I suppose, uh, you know, the local uh, side of it, the Metro branch was where I was introduced and um, possibly had a, a longer time in it than, than Gary had because Gary moved on to uh, greater things faster. Um, but it meant that I was working with people I knew and I admired. So, you know, John Nolan, Conor McAllister, Seton Menton. Um, I was very privileged when I was uh, asked by Eddie Cotter to be uh president of the Metro branch, I then turned around and I had the opportunity because of the looseness of the rules, if you like, in the way it functioned. And Gary has uh, described it perfectly. You went out and you canvassed for people. You said, I need you to do this. So I actually asked June Nunn, would she join us as an academic representative? And June 
very, very graciously said she would. And that was three years commitment by her and Frances O'Callaghan. So um, I had the advantage of working with people that I admired at a local level. And then as we moved on and got more experience, you know, you move with the Within the organisation, I sort of moved through various committees. The Again, the Metro branch was an exciting time because it was through the Metro branch that the first best practice uh, committee was formed because of where we saw things going. And I also had to make a presentation to council at the time. I was invited by Don Latkins, Secretary General at the time, to uh, present on PR. So again, out of my time on the Metro branch, we formed two strategies, if you like, that still exist today. So I've always enjoyed that and it's working with people that, you know, I admired the Quality and Patient Safety uh, Committee, which you know a lot about Finton, has been one of the highlights of my time uh, because of the fact we've managed to stay together as a committee for since 2009, September 2009. The productivity, um, you know, I think it, it matured in covid it was at the right time and the right place uh, to help members in COVID. Um, and then when I went on to Dental Council, uh, Martin Hoolan, who is now a really good pal of mine, uh, he was president. And I remember, again, in keeping with tradition, I was walking up to the steps to the first uh, full meeting. We'd had our introduction the day before and Therese Garvey's laying in wait and says, Will you be chair of the auxiliary committee? And this had been uh, decided in the Langkawi, I think, the night before. <laughs> That's where all strategy uh, took place for a while. So it's it's just the joy, you know, worked with Tommy Farn and then was there when David started, David O'Flynn started. So it's that one-to-one that I've I've really enjoyed at the committee level and and bringing about changes that need to be changed. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you both a similar question in terms of um, milestones and what you both regard as key advances or milestones where the association has been involved in representing or negotiating on behalf of members. So, Eamon, just to to stay with you, you and I first met when I was working in the Irish Medical Organisation and we worked together in representing the part-time staff in the Dublin Dental School, and that was a protracted saga. So you might want to tell us your memories of that. But there have been other things you've been involved in over the course of your time. You mentioned about the Quality and Patient Safety Committee, and I'd also like to ask you specifically about the whole pandemic experience and where that committee came into its own. So maybe if you just want to talk to start with about your memories of our labours together on behalf of the part-time staff. Yeah, that was again, uh, I suppose, thinking outside the box. We did something unusual. The part-time staff basically were being misused. I'll use the phrase very carefully by the dental hospital. And um, a level of dissatisfaction got to the point where a small committee was put together. And what we looked at was how best to bring about a result. And we decided that, and we did discuss this also with Donald as uh, Secretary General here of the IDA, uh, we decided we would have both the IMO and the IDA represent us. And it was just, uh, it was largely a question of heft, 
who would you pay attention to? When we went to the IMO, we put the proposition to them and they said, fine, you'd have to join. That was fair enough. We did. And um, for your sins, (laughs) Fenton, you were rolled out. Uh, It was successful. Um, I learned an awful lot. I learned I'm not a negotiator. Gary is a negotiator. You're a negotiator. I'm not a negotiator. I would take it, um, you know, just too much on the chin to be a good negotiator. So, uh, but I did, I did learn from the experience. So that was successful. And uh, I went from there then uh, to become officially a part-time staff representative in the hospital. And the IDA put me on the board, I think, just as Gary was coming off it. We were going on. I, we, dare I say, I took his place. That would be rather large boots to be filling. But uh, and I certainly was never vice chairman. But anyway, we were we were next up in line after Gary. So with regards to quality and patient safety, the ethos of the quality and patient safety committee was to put together um, information that could be used in the single surgery. And so it was to simplify legal and regulatory uh, requirements. First, to know about them, because again, when you're locked away in a surgery, as is often the case, it's very, very easy to miss what uh, you should know. And and I think Gary would agree. One of the huge advantages in all our representative roles was that we always knew what was coming down the line. We always knew what was important. And so we had an advantage. And what Quality and Patient Safety did was put that out to every member uh, and have a library there, as we do on the website, so you can come back and refer to it. Um, When it came to the pandemic, you know, March 13th, Joe Green, Gary's mentioned, uh, National Oral Health uh, Office, they set out uh, one of the few, in fact, the only bit of advice that was available at the time. And I think general dentists were very grateful to Joe and his colleagues because it gave us something that we could follow. And very, very quickly, not just dentistry, but the whole country uh, withdrew into its shell. Now, dentistry still had a role because we had to treat emergency patients, but even to understand what the emergency patient was. And it was a time, I think we would all agree, of huge uncertainty and not a little fear. And dentists saw themselves at the front line of that because of the aerosol nature uh, and the risk of spread of disease and not knowing. And we were looking at the film reports from North Italy and they certainly were very, very frightening. So what happened was... um, I was introduced to your good self, uh, Fintan. I was introduced to Martin Cormican. Uh, and within minutes of me speaking to Martin, he took on the role of uh, producing the guidelines for dentists. Um, we were blessed. Here was a man that did not believe in shutting down dental practices because, as he said, if I shut you down, I have to have a good reason to open you again. And what will have changed? And we worked with Martin, and, and, and I make it very clear, Martin was the boss, okay? But we being Joe Green, Neve Galvin, I represented, they were on the HSE side of things, I represented uh, the IDA in our discussions. But quality and patient safety produced 
a huge volume of advice, right from health and safety authority advice, uh, right through to putting a sign on your door as to, you know, ring to make an appointment, um, you know, to understanding, again, what to bring to the board of the IDA at the time to say, look, here is the science as we understand it. And I do understand from uh, Martin's point of view, he wasn't slavish to the concept of science because he believes science has a social aspect to it. Um, and we were able to go back into opening our practices fully on the 18th of May with an absolute confidence that we could say to the members because of the work that the Patient Safety Committee had done, we were actually able to say with confidence, this is the right advice. And it differed, as Gary would know, from advice next door to us in the UK and advice in America and advice in Canada. And we were, to a large extent, outliers on this. But thankfully, we were right. Yes, and I th- I think that is something I saw at first hand, and I think uh, the 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 work you did personally and the the whole development of the Quality and Patient Safety Committee has been a, a very significant development in the history of the association. And I think it's also important to say, uh, as I'm sure you'll agree, that it was largely formed in the wake of the Madden report, but also because of a concern that simply what was happening up to then was somebody would decide something for the medical profession and simply say, well, whatever we decided for medical doctors, we will apply to dentistry. And and there was a concern that that wasn't the appropriate approach. So, Gary, if, if I can turn to you, you already mentioned your president and you were involved in the association in, in the higher echelons around the time of the initial talks on what became known as the DTSS, the medical card scheme. It was a huge departure from existing arrangements. There were very ad hoc arrangements in place. It was a big leap of faith, I suppose, on the part of, well, probably everybody, but particularly the dental profession. I can imagine there must have been some fairly frank discussions when I came to talking to the Department of Health. Well, I remember addressing a meeting in Dublin um, about the replacement of the ad hoc scheme with the scheme that eventually came came to fruition. And I was aware that if we, as, a, as an organisation, we were one member over 50% of the dentists in Ireland. So I was going to the Department of Health arguing you know, ostensibly for the whole profession, knowing that we were actually you know, at the skin of our teeth. And I remember at the meeting in um, in Dublin, a couple of people who were very, doing very well out of the ad hoc scheme being rather upset. And it actually took a lot of discussion right around the country. But the profession, I think, voted for the, the scheme because they actually saw the need. I mean, they, you, know, you were in a, a country town, you had people who couldn't get dentures. And I thought it was, it actually rose our... Um, our trust, the way the department trusted us when we saw that we brought it over the line. Now, I should also mention at the same time, Noel Walsh, um, who anybody from my generation will know very well, Noel was the chairman of the negotiating team that was dealing with the the PRSI because there was two going on at the same time. And thanks to Noel and that team, we got the grant and aid system, which was the envy of the English National Health Dentist for years. Um, Again, unfortunately, the last recession put the kibosh on that. It'll be interesting to see whether that comes back or not. But you asked a question earlier about people that that I met that I admired. One of them is sitting across the table, 
You can't see him going red now, but he is. So Eamon would be one of the men. But also Martin Houlihan, who you mentioned, Noel Walsh. But then people that got a bad press in among the general practitioners. Derry Shandy. There would not be a Dublin Dental Hospital if it weren't for Derry Shandy. Now, I would have had significant rows with Derry over the years. But that, bill, that, that institution exists because of him. And then Tommy Farron. Um, I spent uh, 10 years on the board of uh, dental protection. So I would have seen a lot of litigation both you know, in England and here and, and heard what they had to say about it. They would have given anything to get Tommy Farron over to England to run their system. A man of the highest integrity and actually had the effect of holding all of us who were in a well-paid, well-remunerated profession to a standard to which we should aspire. Recently, the IDA's uh, victory on that People, you know, I, I, I'm not sure everybody in the profession understands how important that was. Because if that hadn't been won, effectively it would have been the end of associates in dental practice. So that was a huge issue. And often, of course, I think it was Steve Jobs said, you can only join the dots looking back. And so when I look back now, I mean, many of the men I admire most were men I had some of the most profound arguments with. But the ability to have an argument and still maintain a friendship uh, that's something that I learned over the years. So the other thing is, you know, coming to the end of it now, I suppose, I mean, I intend to retire within the next 15 years, but the, um, it's a wonderful profession. My son is a dentist. He works with me in the practice. I wish I was starting again. There is nothing else I would prefer to do. And the thing is, we can get better tomorrow because it's, it's the, 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 the tools we have, we have at our disposal now make it a real service profession. That's a very positive way to, to reflect. And can I ask you, Gary, you know, because you would have lectured extensively uh, all the time I've known you uh, on uh, running a dental practice and, and how to how to manage a dental practice. What are the significant changes if you look at how dental practices operate today, how they operated when you first started, and equally, if you can look forward, how you think they will operate in 10 or 15 years time? Well, I think up to about 15 years ago, the vast majority of dental practices in Ireland were single-handed practitioners working with paper charts. Um, we would have, I would have, over the years, probably visited 50 or 60 practices and we would have had um, dozens of practitioners through practice management courses. So 15 years ago, that was, was where we are. If anybody is still there, they're in difficulty because it's virtually impossible for a single-handed practitioner to be compliant. Because if you're, the, the effort required, and if you think of all of the areas, waste management, radiology, cross-infection, even HR, basic rules of, of, of how, to, how to manage staff, extraordinarily difficult. So I think the future of dentistry is going to be away from single-handed practitioners, unless you're a specialist and where you have maybe just a nurse and you're, get, and you're working on referrals. But I think, the, I think for, for personal wellness, I mean, I have... We have six dentists in our practice, uh, both uh, two of them qualified around the same time as I did. And if you asked either Sean or Kiron, what would be their nightmare? It would be to go back to being a single-handed practitioner. Because being a large practice, we can delegate all of the tasks that we've just discussed to somebody else. So I think that's the thing. I think young dentists are going to go, they're either going to go... Um, become a principal with associates and hygienists. But again, you need to know how to run a business if you're going to do that. Join a, big, a bigger practice. I think the days of being on your own are both 
un, they're not viable and they're very unhealthy. Um, the challenge of corporate dentistry is interesting. Probably take us too long to go to go into it. It has its, it has its, both its benefits and it has problems because a lot of it depends on the ethos of the corporate that you're dealing with. Um, and young dentists who are going to work for anybody, be it a corporate or another, need to do their research. Don't, don't, you'll make sure you get a contract and don't sign anything until you know what the pedigree of the organisation you're joining is like. Great, that's very helpful advice. And Eamon, you're coming into the presidency of the association later this year. You have the, uh, I suppose, the obligation to look forward, but you have the privilege of being able to look back. So is there anything you can see that's changing rapidly or when you look forward, what do you see as challenges that exist now and into the future that maybe weren't there at the start of your career? Well, I think Gary has touched upon it is the change in how practices are set up. And I think wellness, Gary has touched a number of very, very important points that any young dentist going through. I would make the case still for the odd bespoke practice. I've enjoyed being the single handed person, but I have managed it by, you know, making myself available to to be in a position to learn. And I would say that to anybody, whether you're in a single practice or in a multiple practice, go and meet your colleagues. I mean, Gary knows, um, and please God, it'll happen this year, just before the annual dinner every year. The two of us are to be found discussing philosophy or something else. Other people would have another description on it, I'm sure, but uh, but it is that joy of reaching out and being able to meet people, and I can reciprocate the admiration uh, because that's what we do. We go and we chat and we have fun, and you you have people there uh, that understand where you're coming from because they go through the same pressures. And I think this is one of the big changes with COVID is that now we all want webinars. I have a number of issues with that, but the social context of the webinar is the biggest issue. You don't meet people and we know we learn better out of our comfortable environment. So where regulation is coming in, and yes, maybe in a practice, you'll get somebody to do a lot of the regulation in a big practice, but you still need to understand it as a dentist. So you're not free of that obligation or legal requirement. Um, So I think how we deliver CPD is going to change. Again, it was the mainstay of a social scene. There was when you could do it, you go to your lectures, you go for a pint afterwards, you'd sit and chat um, and you had that support service that was there. Um, so I, I think that's something I would suggest to younger dentists just to be wary of. I know it's it's the present fashion and uh, Gary, you're still involved with CPD, are you? In the IDA? Yeah, well, yeah. well not, not in the IDA, but I'm doing one for yeah, the yeah, surgeons. But uh, so that would be one thing. I think the nature of dentistry is changing. I mentioned earlier healthcare and, and, you know, this was my driver going through. But I do think we have to acknowledge we are getting more and more embedded in the cosmetic industry. Um, And I think, you know, while patients uh, may appreciate that, it does change the language. People become known as clients. And we know going back to the time of the PRSI and grant and aid, 
the Three Marys, as they were as ministers at the time, uh, used to refer constantly to dental clients. And I think we need to fight to keep uh, patients at the forefront of what we do every day. And I would be concerned for that change. Um, what drives dentistry? I think we've got real questions to ask. Is it healthcare or is it consumerism? And without being paternalistic about it, I think we need to have that debate. Um, I, I think because of the changes I've mentioned in terms of the social context of uh, how we get our CPD and how we meet our pals, um, I think it's going to have an effect on how the association runs itself. So, yeah, big changes. I, I'm struck by the fact that you're both very positive and optimistic, notwithstanding the fact that, that there, there are challenges. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to come in to me and speak to us today. That was Dr. Gary Heavey, former president of the Irish Dental Association and the incoming president of the association, Dr. Raymond Grove. Thank you both very much. And that's all from this episode of The Whole Truth. You can follow the Irish Dental Association on Twitter at Irish Dentists or visit our website, dentist.ie, for a full list of upcoming events to mark this, our centenary year, including our annual conference. Goodbye and see you next time. <laughs>